is a privilege to be here. Uh, I love to preach, but I, I'd rather hear your pastor preach. <laughs> but I did. I got to hear him on Wednesday. I, was in, I enjoyed that uh, blessing. I ask your prayers again for me as I uh, seek to honor Christ and magnify Him and preach His Word to you. And I pray He'll make it effectual to your hearts. I pray He'll teach you, instruct you. I'm just one said, just a vessel. It's, you don't you don't praise the pitcher for the for the the good tea you get. It's just to, just to hold it. That's all I do is hold it and pour it out. And I pray that God would open your hearts to fill it this morning. You would take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter seven. We're looking at verse 13 this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13. Entitled this message, A Consideration of God's Crooked Work. A Consideration of God's Crooked Work. The Scripture says, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 13, Consider the work of of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? God's crooked work. Now we're going to consider this morning two works of God. As we consider the work of God, we are going to consider first of all God's work of salvation. God's work of salvation. If ever we are to continue and endure in the faith, we must constantly, above all things, consider God's salvation. And I've got three things concerning that. If you want to take notes, you can just put it in there. And I'm kind of hoping my message will line up with the notes. Uh, we're going to consider God's eternal work of salvation. We're going to consider the Son's work of accomplishing that salvation. And thirdly, we're going to consider the Spirit's work in applying that salvation. And secondly, we're going to consider God's work of providence. God's work of providence. And I have three questions under this. What is divine providence? Why does divine providence appear crooked? And thirdly, how does the wise, the believer, how are we to understand the seeming contradictions of God's promises and God's providence? So first of all, let's consider His work of salvation. Now Solomon, in this book, moved by the Holy Spirit, was given wisdom above every man, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The man Solomon had the greatest wisdom of all Adam's creation. It was given to him to be wise, but not only this, but he was given to him to experience all the pleasures that this world has to offer. He was given riches above all men, power above all men. He was given the pleasures above all men. And what was his conclusion? His conclusion is simply this, vanity 
of vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That is the conclusion of the wisest man who has been given all of the pleasures of this world that a man could take. And he said it's all empty. It's empty. And it's vexing. It's vexing. The things of this world are vexing to us. Why? He said, look, I had all wisdom. I had all pleasure. And you know what the vexing part is? I'm going to die like the fool. I'm going to die like the poor man. We all die. There is nothing in this world you keep. Nothing. The wise as well as the fool, the rich as well as the powerful, and the poor as well as the powerless, all will die and all must be judged of God. I beg beg you to listen then to your Maker. Listen to your judge. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's what this book is concerning. It says everything under the sun, anything you can think of, is nothing. It's empty. It's vain. You get it, it enjoys it for a moment, and the moment's gone. What did you really have? Nothing. It's vanity. Consider this instead. You're going to die. Consider. Be wise. Consider this. Now, so many people in this world, in this age, who claim to know God. They claim to seek after God. They claim to be accepted of God. But in truth, many of this generation have no clue who God is or what God requires of them. None. They all got an opinion about it, but they really don't know. Most men are the hind 57 religion. They just take, take of this and take of that and they put it together. They say, well, I like this verse. And they go over here and I like this verse, but this one and I just, I just like. They just kind of pick and choose what they want. And that's how they come up with their religion. These men view God as some kind of old grandfather that if you just do your best. Now, if you're just sincere... You believe this way, and you uh, this other person believes other. If you're both just really sincere, and you really believe, it's all going to work out. It's okay. That's a fool. That's a fool. This is the heart of the fool to believe that there are many ways to God, and sincerity is the key. That's a, that's the heart of the fool. God said, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but that way, the end thereof is death. You see, that seems straight to this world to to try to earn God's favor. And if you just do your best, then God's going to accept you. Now that just seems straight. That seems like a good logical religion. How do you know? Because... All religion, except God's, except the gospel of God's grace, all religion is like that. You know, there are only two religions. I, it's very important to understand. There are only two religions. Don't confuse it. Salvation by works or salvation by grace. There's no mixing here. It's either or. If you say, well, I believe in salvation by grace, but you've got to do... No, you're worst category. You're over there. That's who you are. There's only two religions. Works and grace. And if you... And the way, the way of work seems logical to 
us. By nature. This is how we think by nature. But it's the way of the fool. So this morning I want us to consider this. What God says is this. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The law of God is not ambiguous. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. This is God's requirement. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Alright, go ahead. Raise your hand if that's you. Jesus said, Not every man that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Consider that our sin, consider our sin, that our sin, we have sinned against God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all as an unclean thing. We are as a leper whose wounds and bruises and putrefying sores cover us from head to toe. By nature, we are sinners. Listen, the reason you sin is because you are a sinner. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You're a sinner by birth. And because you're a sinner by birth, you are definitely a sinner by choice. This is who we are. And I pray the Holy Spirit would open this because if if God never shows you your need of Christ, you'll never come. Jesus said, Not every man that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. How easy to say, Lord, Lord. How easy? Is it easy for you to say? If you've got a tongue, you say it. A lot of people say it. Jesus said, I don't care if you say that. I don't care how sincere you are when you say that. You may be sincere. Lord, Lord, and you may be sincere. Jesus said, not everyone say to me, Lord, Lord, show the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And what is the will of the Father? I just told you. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. You have to be holy. You must be holy. So how then can one who is sinful, one like me, one who is really guilty of sin, how then may we be accepted of a holy God? How can God be just and justify the ungodly? In order to understand that, that is the... that is. That is that this should be the vital issue here. This is the vital issue. How can God be just and justify me? The only way to, to know that is to consider His work. That's what Solomon said. Consider the work of the Lord. We're consider His work in salvation. And what we're going to consider this morning is very crooked to the world. Yet the Scripture says, how can you make straight what God made crooked? That's crooked in your eyes. Now, how are you going to straighten? How are you going to make God make His salvation align with yours? You can't. You can't. Consider God's work of salvation. Men are confused about salvation because they, they fail to see that it's not by any work of man, but completely is the work of God. Salvation is is the work of God, listen to this word, alone. 
He doesn't require your help at all. Jonah said that, didn't he? When he got puked out by the whale, what did he say? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. The Psalm 3 in verse 8 says, Salvation, listen, belongeth unto the Lord. It's His salvation. It's His salvation. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Sinners, stop trying to make straight what God has made crooked. That's just crooked to man. And salvation belongs to God and don't require anything of you. That's just, something's wrong with that, they say. Why are you going to straighten it out? What are you going to do? You can't. Salvation's of the Lord. Period. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, here it is. Not of him that willeth. Here goes free will works religion. Just, just cut it off. It's just, you can't straighten this. Not of him that willeth, or him that runneth. There goes works religion. But God that showeth mercy. Consider God's work of salvation is God's work. It is His work that He purposed before the foundation of the world. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. God's work of salvation happened a long time before I ever experienced it. (laughs) Come on now. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. For this purpose. That. This is why He chose us in Christ. That. We should be holy. Did I not just tell you what God required? That God required you to be holy? Look what God did before the world began. He purposed that we should be holy and without blame before Him. And why did he do that? In love. <laughs> That's why he did it. In love. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children. Now how is he going to do that? How is he going to make us holy? How is he going to make us sons? By Jesus Christ. That's what God purposed. By Jesus Christ. He's going to bring us to himself. According to the good pleasure of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. You see this? God purposed our salvation. The purpose of His salvation began in eternity. He chose a people and put them in Christ. Made Christ to be their representative. This is God's eternal salvation. Consider it. Men say, I don't like it. Well, how can you make straight that which God's made crooked in your eyes? They consider election crooked. Why are you going to straighten it? You ain't. 
You can kick, you can cuss, you can spit. You can't change it. This is God's work. God began this work in eternity. Look at 2 Timothy. <laughs> I always like this one. 2 Timothy um, chapter 1. Look <laughs> at verse 9. <laughs> I love this. Let me read verse 8. Be not therefore, therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, the gospel, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us. Which was first? What did he do first? Saved you. Then what did he do? He called you. <laughs> and when he called you, it wasn't just an old call. It's an effectual call, a powerful call, according to the power of God. He called you. Our salvation was, was purposed of God before the world began. How will men make straight that which God has made crooked? Secondly, consider the miracle of God's grace in accomplishing this salvation. Not only did He purpose it, He accomplished it. He finished it. Over in Isaiah chapter 42, we read of our Lord Jesus Christ. He accomplished it by Christ. That's what He said He was going to do in eternity, didn't He? By Jesus Christ. That's what He said. So Jesus Christ is to come in the world. And what is going to be the, the outcome? Religion... They had to be real worried about the outcome. Said, man, he's coming to save, but I just don't know if he can do it. <laughs> Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor be lift up, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. That's talking about his, his death, his crucifixion, that he was going to come into the world and die for the sins of his people. He was going to establish judgment. See, judgment, what's, what's a just thing to do with the sinner? Kill him. But how can He save me and not kill me? By this, Jesus Christ satisfying the justice of God in our stead. He shall set forth judgment unto truth. His, his death will establish justice and truth. And listen to this. What's the outcome? What is going to be the outcome of this? He shall not fail. <laughs> Isn't that astounding? <laughs> he shall not fail. Can you say it about anything you've done? What? You, you going to do something today? Are you sure you're going to get it done? You're not really sure. <laughs> Man, I'm going to... Do... Maybe. 
if God will, I'll get it done. But you don't have any. God had total confidence in His Son. He said He shall not fail. Listen, nor be discouraged. See, Christ is not discouraged. He was never discouraged. He was never discouraged. The Scripture tells us that He... uh, the seed of the woman should crush the, should, shall crush the head of the serpent by the bruising of his heel. Jesus Christ, our representative man, came into this world as a man, as our high priest, so as to offer both gifts and sacrifices to God in our stead. He came and provided righteousness that God required. Paul tells us in, in, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 22, he says, even the righteousness of God. This is not just any old righteousness. This is the very righteousness of God. By the faith of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer this morning and you have the righteousness of Christ, I want you to see this. It is the very righteousness of God made solely by Him. You added not one stitch to this robe of righteousness. Not one. He made it all. And our Lord Jesus Christ not only made our righteousness, but by His own blood He satisfied the justice of God. When He died upon Calvary's tree, He exclaimed, it is finished. Why? Because it's finished. It's finished. God satisfied. God raised Him from the dead and set Him upon the throne. And what is He doing now? What is He doing right now? Our Lord said in John 17, Now it's given Him power over all flesh. For what purpose? All power is given to Him. Do you understand that? All power. What power is not given to Him? You breathe this morning. There's power in that. Who controls that? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth for one purpose. That He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. Do you see how He's not going to be disappointed when it all wraps up? He is going to give eternal life. Not to who you think should get it. Not to who you want to give it to. But to whomsoever He will give it to. You see, salvation belongs... Now this, my friend, is crooked in the eyes of man. It's crooked to him. But how are you going to straighten what God has made crooked? What are you going to do about it? Ain't nothing you can do about it. Jesus Christ did save His people from their sins. And He has now sent His Holy Spirit into this world that every elect and redeemed sinner shall be quickened to life and faith in Christ. Go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at this. 
We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. I remember this. One guy called me a long time ago and he said, you know what, if you just find me anywhere in Scripture that election is to salvate unto salvation, I'll, I'll believe it. But right here. God from the beginning chosen you to what? Salvation. He hung up. <laughs> See, he was trying to make straight what God had made crooked. Couldn't do it. He chose us to salvation. Jesus Christ accomplished that salvation and now the application to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now you who believe, I know this, you are you sincerely believe. There's no doubt about it. But how much you trust your sincerity? Not at all. The object of our faith is not our sincerity. It's Christ. One day you're real sincere, the next day you're not. One day you're sincere, the next day you're not. See, we don't trust that. One day you, you, you believe. You say like Peter, I'll die with you. And the next day you run and hide. Next day you deny Him. You see, we don't trust our faith. We trust Christ. When the Spirit gives you life and faith, He sanctifies you. He makes you holy. He gives you a holy nature that is not in you. And He gives you faith. Faith is the gift of God. Faith has one object, which is Christ. You know, a good illustration of that is Ezekiel 37. You ever, uh, those dry bones. What a beautiful picture how God saves a sinner. Here Ezekiel is. He says, hey, look at these dry bones, Ezekiel. And he goes out and he looks at them and says, yeah, they're dry. Oh, they're very dry. Ain't no water in them at all. They're dead. What a picture of you and me. Dead. You know, it's not even that the skeletons were together. <laughs> the bones were scattered all over the place. You couldn't even find which bone belonged to which person. You couldn't do it. Impossible. He said, preach to these bones and you tell them I'm going to give them life. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look, you said it. You know if they can or they will not. They will. I don't know. I'm just going to do what you said. And he did. He said, Lord's going to give you life. And all of a sudden, the bones began to rattle, began to shake, and bone came to his bone. <laughs> and flesh and muscle came on them. And he said, They're without breath. And he said, Prophesy to the wind, preach to the wind. Well, this is a picture of the Spirit of God and He gives them life. This is what we were. We were dead. We thought God's salvation was crooked. We thought we had to straighten it out. I know God said this, but that's not how I feel. That's not what I think. And when God gave you life, you realize your way was crooked. And His way was straight. <laughs> His way straight. If salvation belonged to me and God, there'd be no hope for me. Salvation belongs to God. It's His work. And He does a perfect work. He does a perfect work. The Spirit comes and He applies it to everyone.
Now the second thing I want us to consider this. Consider God's work in providence. Consider God's work in providence. Uh, I do pray that God give you grace and you do believe and you do know that salvation is the eternal purpose of God. That you do know this, that Jesus Christ actually accomplished your salvation and you have nothing to add. You have nothing to add. You know this, that the Spirit of God gave you life, gave you faith. And if you continue in this faith, you know this, it has got to be His work. The just shall live by Faith. That's how we live. We live by faith. We live trusting. and we, That's why I need to hear this salvation preached over and over and over again. I've heard this since I was their age. I didn't know it like they don't. They don't know it, but I didn't know it either. But when God revealed it to me, I knew this, that Christ was all and all my hope was in Him. But as I go through this life, we have to consider God's work of providence because His way of providence often seems crooked. It often seems crooked even in the eyes of God's people. Now the Holy Scriptures are clear that all that the Father chose and the Son redeemed, all of them that are called by the Spirit of God will and must continue in faith. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 He declares this, that we are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. But then he mentions something else. He said, your faith is going to be tried. Your faith is going to be tested. Though you endure much tribulation, much trials. Let me read this. I'm going to read it since that way I don't get it mixed up here. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be. You are in heaviness through manifold temptation that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perish though it be tried with fire might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What is this trial? What are these difficulties? It has to do with providence. Providence. We find ourselves in such evil times, evil troubles and difficulties, afflictions. We are saved by the grace of God, have the Holy Spirit, the new nature, yet we must still struggle. And we do struggle with divine providence. We still struggle for this reason. You still have an old nature within you. This is why you struggle. If you didn't have this old nature, if you just had the new one, you wouldn't struggle at all with God's providence. Christ never struggled with God's providence. Just never did. You and I struggle all the time with God's providence. We don't understand it. This is because we have this old nature of death, this old man of sin, this old man of death, wrapped around our necks. And so long as we live in this world, we are bound by this body of death to suffer persecutions and sorrows and griefs and sicknesses and even death. Yet the elect, the redeemed, those who are quickened by the Spirit, we must endure. We must continue in faith. 
no matter what we experience. No matter what trials come our way, we must continue in faith. We cry in our confusion, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Does that not vex you? It vexes me that the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. You know, uh, Isaac's wife, she, uh, she had the twins. She had the promise of God. She said, you know, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Isaac, in his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then she had that, those twins struggling within her womb. And she asked this question, why am I thus? If the promise of God is this, then why do I suffer? Why do I suffer? Asaph had this problem in Psalm 73. He said, look, I know God's good to Israel. I don't have any problem with that. But as for me, I don't know. My foot had nigh well slipped and my faith was almost gone. The wicked, they don't have any trouble. They don't, they don't talk about death. Eternity. Judgment, righteousness. They don't struggle with any of these things. But God's people do. We have this struggle of making our calling and election sure. Is there anything else more important? Do you know you're in Christ? Yes. How often have we questioned? Tis a point I long to know. Oft it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not? And so we must consider then God's providence. What is divine providence? What is it? It is simply this. It is God's working out of His eternal decree. Whatever takes place in time was what God ordained to take place from eternity. So, providence is God working out His eternal decrees. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning. There is nothing that takes place in time that has not been determined by God. This is crooked to the natural man. And oftentimes it's crooked to even God's people. In Isaiah chapter 41, God sends out a challenge to false gods. You know what the difference between false god and the true god? He said this, tell me what's going to happen. <laughs> Matter of fact, you tell me what happened and I'll be amazed. You tell me what's happening now and I'll be amazed, but I'll be really amazed if you tell me what's going to happen. The difference between a false God and a true God is this, sovereignty. A true God does whatsoever He wills. That's the difference. Only the true and living God says this, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end at the beginning. 
from ancient times the things that were not yet done, saying this, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. That's Isaiah chapter 46, 9 and 10. I will do all my pleasure. Consider then, believer in Christ, that all things that have ever happened, that are presently happening, and shall ever happen, are decreed by God. You remember uh, a long time ago, but 9-11, I just, I won't forget the the bumbling around of false preachers. They couldn't, they, they kept, they kept getting asked, what, where was God? Where was God when that happened? Where was God? And they were just, oh, blah, blah, blah. They just couldn't answer. I remember Milton Howard preached a message exactly after that, that happened. He said this, I am God and there is none else. I kill and I make alive. You know who did that? God did. Well, that's crooked. Well, how are you going to straighten it? How are you going to straighten this providence? God did that. This is God's providence. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. You consider wicked men ruling things, and you go, man, where's God? Well, He's right where He's always been. He put Him there. Now how are you going to make it straight? Seems crooked to you? What are you going to do about it? Amos 3, 6, Should the trumpet be, Shall the trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall the evil in the, be evil in the city and hath not the Lord done it? Consider God's providence. Who's doing all these things? God is. Consider the crucifixion of Christ. Who did that? God did that. <laughs> Remember those Jews, they said, hey, we can't crucify Him on the, on the Passover. <laughs> we just can't do that. We can't do it. The people get all upset. We can't do it. God said, I bet you will. You will because I determined it. Now, they did exactly what they wanted to do and they were responsible. But I'll tell you this, God absolutely overruled to make it happen. There was no other way. And so as we consider God's providence, you better consider this. All things that happen to you and me are according to the divine decree of God. Secondly, why does God's providence seem crooked? Believe there are many times the providence of God seems to us to be crooked. It crosses our path. It crosses what we think we need or want, think we want that is good for us. It crushes our dreams. It destroys our plans. It causes great pain and sorrow. And Solomon in the text, he in this go back to go back to Ecclesiastes for a second. Now we're considering the work of God's in providence. But if you go back through this text, he's going to give you some things in this book that seem crooked. It seem just... Something's wrong with this. I don't understand. Listen to this. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of one's death and the day of one's birth. What do we celebrate most? Death or birth? God said you got it backwards. That seem crooked to you? 
Look at this. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. That seem crooked to you? He tells us, for this is the end of all men. You're going to die. <laughs> mourning is the end of all men. His sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness the countenance of the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. Don't you see? These things seem crooked. In verse 5 he said, The rebuke of the wise is better than the song of fools. The end of a thing in verse 8 is better than the beginning. Now none of us is go- are going to desire these things for ourselves. We're not going to say, Man, I can't wait to get to the house of mourning. You're not going to do it yourself. But God in love brings us to the better places. These things seem crooked. God who has purposed to do us good all the days of our life. And God's divine providence has appointed for us these times of sorrow, these times of mourning, and even our death for our good. None of this is intended for our destruction. God says this, I know my thoughts towards you. That's only really, that's only, it's not important that you know his thoughts towards you. It's more important that he knows his thoughts towards you. (laughs) I know my thoughts towards you. Forget about what you think. Forget about how you feel. I know my thoughts towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. That's my thoughts towards you. He brings these troubles and sorrows for the purpose of drawing us closer to Him. He brings these crosses and these things that, that, that cause us pain and affliction so that we would set our eyes upon Christ. Set our affections on things above and take our hands off of the things of creation and time. When you have little children, they grab a hold of these toys and these things that you know are not important and you have to pry them from their hands. It's what God does from us. It's something that's not good. That's why He takes it away. Do these providence seem to cross you? Then consider it is the work of God's divine providence. And so then, how then are we to be wise? That's the third thing. How are we to be wise? We know that all things happen by God's divine providence and it seems to cross us, then how are we to be wise about this? Can we by struggling or working or scheming ever get ourselves out of these crooked lots? Has that worked for you? (laughs) Kind of like quicksand for me. The more I struggle, the deeper it goes down. The more I scheme, the more I try to get myself out, the worse it gets. We can't by scheming get ourselves out of these things, no. Surely we must be patient and wait upon God. Look at verse 7 and 8 of your text there. It said, Surely oppression maketh the wise man mad. I'm sorry, just a second. Yeah, 7, verse 8. He said, better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. 
Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, What is the cause of the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely at this. How often have we reminisced? What a foolish thing to do. Go back and say, look at the former days of our glory and say, how in the world can I make it like that? And then we scheme as to try to how to make it like that. He said, you're not wise to do that. <laughs> Just how foolish I am as a pastor. There was our congreg- It was a time when I was growing up, and I, I know this. The Spirit of God moved. And there was a lot of people being saved at, when I was young. Just saw my parents and, and other and man, they just gathered around, they loved the gospel so much they'd go out, they'd spend time together. I mean, that was just the church was really seemed to be strong in that day. And when I became a pastor, you know, I really desired that. I really desired that our church be like that. You know what I did? I tried to make it like that. You know what it did? It got worse. Don't try to don't try to make things like they were. It's not in your hands to do that. What is the wise thing to do, believer? Submit. (laughs) See that your way is crooked and God's way is straight. Bow to His divine providence and look to Christ. Set your eyes on Christ. Don't look at the providence. Ezekiel has a a picture for us, the wheel within the wheel, right? And the Scripture says that the wheel within the wheel went straight forward. It turned not to the right hand nor to the left. That's God's providence. The eyes, the wheels were full of eyes. And God knows where He's going. God knows what He's doing. He's doing all of these things. It's going to be straight. And you know what happens is when our providence cross, when our desires cross His providence and they get run over, <laughs> then we get our feelings hurt. <laughs> and we become confused. As a kid, and you bicycle and you spin that wheel and get those spokes and you spin the wheel. And I sometimes I'd like to just look at the spokes, you know. Just kind of follow the spokes around and rip my head. You would get real dizzy trying to find the spokes, trying to trace the spokes out, trying to keep my eye on one spoke. That's what we do. We look at a providence. We try to trace that back to God. You'll get dizzy. Don't try to trace out the providences to God. You know what? Look at the hub. The hub of the wheel never moves. If you look at the hub, you'll never get dizzy. You'll never be confused. Our God is in the heavens and hath done whatsoever He has pleased. And for you who consider His salvation, Consider this, that He is working all things to save you. All of these trials are intended for your good. What kind of man would you be without trials? 
What kind of proud spirit would you have if you had no affliction? I got plenty more to say about this. I'll say two more things and I'll close. I, go to Ecclesiastes one and uh, nine. Ecclesiastes nine. Look over there. Just cross the page. How often you looked at God's providence and say, "How in the world could God love me and this happen?" People have lost their children. They've lost their families. And they say, how could God love me and this happen to me? I'm telling you what you're doing is you're trying to trace out the spoke, trying to trace it back to God. You're not going to, you'll get dizzy. You're not going to find it out. Look at this. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. There's salvation. You see, my righteousness and my work, my obedience is all in the hand of God. He did it. Listen. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before him. You're not ever going to know the love of God by what happens to you. Some people say, well, man, God must love me. Look at all this. It's just, I'm having a good day. God, I must be doing something right. Look at that. And then something bad happens. You say, man, God must hate me. No, you cannot know God's love or hatred by all that happens to you. You know God's love for you by looking at Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's how I know God loves me. He gave me His Son. How shall He not with Him freely give us all things? And who shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? What circumstance? What's going to separate you? If God controls all circumstance and God saves you, then what in the world is going to stop Him from saving you? It's not for your damnation. It's for your salvation. God's doing it for your good. Consider it. And be wise. Submit. Though it seem crooked to you, it's straight. It's straight. God's salvation is straight. He purposed it. He accomplished it. He applied it. God's providence He keeps us by His power and all things that happen to you are for your good. Submit to it and be wise. I pray God will help us.